When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 143. All right, we are two of 10 events down on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour season, which will determine the WSL Final Five men's and women's surfers who will compete for the world title at September's Rip Curl WSL Finals at Lower Trestles. The opening event of the season, the Billabong Pro Pipeline, won by five-time world champion Carissa Moore and Australian contender Jack Robinson. And the second stop, the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach, won by reigning world champion Felipe Toledo and freshly minted CT winner Molly Picklam have set the tone for the world's best surfers as they travel to Europe for the Mayo Rip Curl Pro Portugal at Peniche's famed Super Tubos. The Mayo Rip Curl Pro Portugal will run from March 8th through the 16th and will stream live on worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. In other don't-miss news, the entire second season of Make or Break is now streaming on Apple TV+. The reviews have been really, really positive with Vogue's Taylor Antrim, even calling it their, quote, sports documentary of choice. Season two covers all the stories from the 2022 season, from Kelly Slater's historic win at Pipeline to Tatiana Weston Webb's rebound from the prior season's title clash, the Wright family dynamics, Surfers Gone Wild and Garage Gone, as well as the battle for the world title at Lower Trestles. If you haven't checked it out already, please do and let us know what you think. All right. Episode 143. We're back with my co-host for the season where we run through winners and losers from the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach. We answer listener questions and dive deep into the current Vizla CT Shaper rankings following the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach, where Sharp Eye took yet another men's win this season. They are now two for two. But San Clemente's Matt Biolas and Mayhem Surfboards took pole position after a huge showing from both their men's and women's team. We have a lot of fun on this podcast. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. All right, the lineup is back with my part-time co-host for the season, Mitchell Salazar, joining me just days after the completion of the second of 10 stops on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour, the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach, which was won by first-time CT winner Molly Picklum and the reigning world champion Felipe Toledo. Mitch, how are you doing today, man? We're just a few days out from sunset. What's what's the vibe like? Uh, it's, it's great, Dave. Uh, you know, I was... Pleasantly surprised about the results that we had at Sunset Beach. Honestly, I thought they were going to be a bit different, especially, you know, with what we had talked about uh, on our previous episode together. But um, it was good. You know, I thought Sunset Beach really showed its colors and there were a few different faces that were needed to be seen at this event. And I think Sunset Beach really showed up. Uh, Maybe not ideal conditions on certain days, but definitely waves every contest day that we had. For sure. I mean, and it was one of those things, I'm sure we're going to get into it in the podcast, but it was so touch and go on so many days of like, are the waves going to turn up? Are they not? And I think there were days where we were like, man, what a bummer. And then there were days where you're like, oh my goodness, like it's, it's pumping, like sunsets properly pumping. (laughs) And you know, it was, it was very cool to see. And, um, but yeah, I think we're going to get into it, Mitch. What, what, what is the first segment we got up today? Yeah, Dave. So this is always, you know, the fun one, the one where you get into the meaty part of, of the pod and it's our winners and losers. And uh, let's start things off with um, our first loser. We'll go, we'll go back to back. I want to hear what your biggest loser at Sunset Beach was uh, at this past event, Dave. I'm, I'm tackling a big entity for my first loser and I'm going to name La Nina. And um, yeah, La Nina can take a hike. Um, you know, I, I know I know we're in these cycles. There's El Nina cycles. There's La Nina cycles. 
And I know there's good days and bad days, but geez, pretty much every event that ran on the North Shore between December and February, it was a struggle. It was a struggle with swell directions, with winds, with sand on the reef, with weather, et cetera. And, and obviously that, that happens everywhere. But for our opening two events, we got Pipeline and Sunset Beach. They are scheduled in the prime wave season. It's really exciting. And for sure, we had great days that were, were in both events, as we just talked about. But to have to deal with challenging forecasts at the start of the season, it's rough. And I mean, even the Eddy, which is not a WSL event, and it had an awesome day of surfing won by Luke Shepherdson, which was incredible. But even that event stumbled out the gates when they called it on earlier in the season, then they had to call it off because of wins. So yeah, La Nina um, is my opening loser in today's episode. I still need to get Kevin Wallace on the podcast from Surfline to educate me <laughs> as to why this is happening and probably why I'm wrong. But but, but Mitch, uh, who's your first loser for the uh, the Sunset Beach event? Hey, I just want to back you up on that day real quick because I pay for Surfline Premium too. <laughs> and uh, I love those guys over at Surfline, but it's been a tough winter. Like we've had great days of surfing here in California too that have been like unscheduled. And all of a sudden when it's supposed to be good, it's been rainy and stormy and, and very gloomy like it was almost today too. Um, but yeah, I think my you know biggest loser for this event were actually the local surfers. Um, especially mm -hmm. on the men's side, there wasn't a single male surfer from the state of Hawaii that made the quarterfinals or better. And uh, that to me was very surprising because they're usually the people that will show up, especially with the dominance that we saw from Baron Mamiya last year. Mm. I didn't see that from the men on, uh, on, on the side um, of Sunset Beach this season. And um, I was very surprised. I thought Seth Moniz had a great opening round, 8.33 for that one barrel, literally taking off under the lip straight into the barrel. Comes out, it's it's an excellent score. I thought Baron had a few good heats. You know, the Zeke situation was hard to watch. And and I can tell you, man, um, I've never been in that situation specifically. But when I saw him sitting on that bench with a towel over his head, um, it was it was sad. And he's really far down on the rankings right now. And just the fact that they weren't able to gain momentum, you know, with one another was really difficult to watch. And it's just one of those things they where now they only have three events to really make up for those points and heading into into Portugal and then Bells Beach and Margaret River it's going to be very difficult for them. That's such an interesting observation and I, and I would argue and we'll probably get into it when we cover the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings and and how the Hawaiian Shapers fared as well but I do wonder if, if that correlates with maybe my loser which was La Nina and just that we didn't get kind of classic pipe every day we didn't get classic sunset mm -hmm. beach every day and and that probably erased the advantage that the locals had there for my uh my second loser um this is not a surfer from hawaii although i'm sure he identifies as one because he lives there now i i'm not gonna say the loser is kelly slater but i'm gonna say the loser is kelly slater currently ranked 16th and and what i mean is i think the Ranking of 16th for him seems like almost the worst possible ranking for him at this early point in the season. And to be clear, like I'm speculating wildly here. I have not talked to him. This is my own personal opinion. Does not reflect that of the WSL. Let's get all that out of the way. But here's my reasoning. Kelly really wants to be in the Olympics in Tahiti in 2024. Now, they're only taking the top two American males from the championship tour rankings this year. So far, he's behind Griffin Colapinto. John John Florence, who is from the sovereign surfing nation of Hawaii, but the IOC doesn't recognize that, which is pretty shameful. Seth Moniz and Nat Young heading out of the opening Hawaiian leg and into the part of the season where, you know, let's be honest, he hasn't expressed a ton of enthusiasm in recent years. Additionally, he's got Ian Gentile, Baron Mamiya, Jake Marshall, Kolohe Andino, and Ezekiel Lau all chasing him down in the rear view for one of those two American Olympic spots. Now... If he were securely in the top 10, my guess is he'd be heading into Europe with much more gas in the tank, thinking I might have a WSL Final 5 appearance in me this season. I've got Olympic qualification at Chopu, where I'm still very, very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And conversely, if he were ranked lower, like somewhere in the mid-20s, there's a non-zero percent chance that he just abstains from the remainder of the season and sails off into the sunset and potentially looks for a backdoor into the Olympics somehow. But but at 16, it seems like 
it's possible that he's stuck in the middle, not with the motivation to continue, nor the excuse to call it a day. So is Kelly a loser? Absolutely not. He's the greatest competitive surfer of all time. And in all likelihood, you and I and everybody listening to this podcast are going to have the pleasure of bearing witness to how he bookends such an amazing career. But Kelly ranks 16th at the moment. That's not great for him, in, in my humble opinion. It's a great point you make, Dave, because... I, I don't think a lot of people, and, and I'm thinking in my own mind, okay, he doesn't have a good relationship with Sunset Beach, doesn't really free surf there, and a lot of people still don't associate Kelly with surfing Sunset well. But that doesn't mean that he can. I mean, he had a couple moments of brilliance right there where he was choosing waves underneath everybody else's priority, especially when we had the overlapping heat format. So I actually agree with you. I, I, I'm going to go as my second biggest loser uh, with Kelly, too. I was going to say somebody else, but now that I heard your opinion, I actually agree <laughs> substantially because i think you're absolutely right especially knowing that going to a wave of consequence like super tubos and panish that could be an excellent place for him to do well he's been a former champion mm. there he's final many different times and to me i think the most personal thing is his relationship with europe he's mm. had so many dominant years over there whether in france portugal even in mundaka and spain too now going in to the australian leg after that say you're still in that mid part of the rankings is your motivation still there to even make the mid-year cut, as you were saying? I don't know. But what I will say is that having the Surf Ranch back on the championship tour schedule after the mid-season cut, I think adds a little bit of motivation to his performances coming up in the next three events. So despite Kelly being one of my losers here at this event at Sunset Beach, I still think that he has something to prove down the line, especially knowing how good he is in Tahiti and how good it can be at that time of the year in August too, Dave. So... You know, I think he still has a shot, but at this event, I wasn't impressed. It's interesting, too. And just finding that motivation, as you pointed out, he's so, so good pretty much everywhere on the planet. I saw after the event had finished, he posted something on Instagram sort of bemoaning the fact that, according to Surfline, which we've already touched on, you know, <laughs> winter is over on the North Shore. He was posting sort of the forecast for Pipe, and it looked anemic, to say the, to say the least. And so I think he's kind of like, well, it's not breaking here. I may as well go, and I may as well put up a fight in these next few events. It's going to be interesting. For my uh, my third loser before we before we turn the sunshine on with our winners, um, it's a little bit piggybacking off of Kelly, but but in a broad sense, my third loser is essentially the establishment, for lack of a better term. You know, on the women's side, we have reigning eight-time world champion Stephanie Gilmore sitting at number eleven below the relegation line, as well as yep. longtime title contenders like Sally Fitzgibbons and Courtney Conlog sitting at 12th mm -hmm. and 16th respectively. And in my humble opinion, every single one of those surfers is currently underrated and all three of them could very well be in the title hunt this year. And maybe they will be uh, very shortly. Things can change very quickly in the start of the season. And then on the men's side, you mentioned Zeke. We also have, you know, Kolohi and Dino, Connor O'Leary, all sitting well below the cut line. And they have much better experience and much better talent than their current ranking suggests. And um, I think what you teed up before is, Portugal is going to be a charge situation competitively for these athletes, and I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, that's a, a great point you make, especially um, with the likes of Steph. Mm. I think she's obviously underperformed in the first two events of the season. At least she made the quarters here. I mean, if she didn't make the quarters, that would definitely would have been a horrible loss for her. But um, you touched on Courtney Conlog, and that's the third person I have in this segment right here in mm. the losers because... To me, Dave, knowing two waves of consequence, she charges. She won the event in Tahiti last year when it was big. It was heavy. I mean, it was really like the first time we had really seen women exposed in those kind of waves. And she charged her way to a first place finish. Like, that's not something that everybody can do. And Courtney did it with flying colors. But how do you go from doing that last event of the season? You're gaining momentum. You go in a pipeline. Okay, last place finish. I get it. First event of the season, you're not in rhythm. It wasn't very good. It was an authentic pipeline. But you go into Sunset Beach, you have two bad heats back to back. Mm. When the waves are actually benefiting you and your style personally, what's happening? You have a six-point heat total when you're losing in the elimination round. You're an elite surfer. You've been a top five surfer in the past. You have done it last year. You needed a result right before the mid-year cut line. You did it. What's happening right now? And I just don't understand how Courtney had terrible results back to back in two waves that I personally thought were going to be good for her, Dave. And it's shocking to see 
She's tied in last place right now with both Sophie McCulloch and Joanne DeFay. Those are two surfers that haven't even touched the water so far mm. in 2023. So things aren't looking good for court. We know she can do well in Australia, both Margaret River and Bells Beach. She's won at Bells before. But is it going to happen at Super Tools? We shall see. It's a good point. And, you know, I had the good fortune of, of chatting with Courtney um, at the opening ceremony for the first event, the, the Billabong Pro Pipeline. And it was, I, I'm with you. You know, she was like, look, I've been hurt the last few years. I feel 100% healthy. She'd spent a month just on her own in Nicaragua, just surfing and, and getting ready for the season. And I, I will say, I think with someone like Courtney that, I think she has that awesome athlete component of the the goldfish memory, right? Where it's like yeah. she could get dead last, she could get dead last again, and then she could win the next event. Like I, I don't think mm-hmm. she carries a lot of things like between events, and I think that's something she's honed over the course of, of her career. And so I, I hope she turns it around too. I hope Sally does. I hope Steph does. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not everyone can make the relegation. Not everyone can make the final five. Not everyone can win the world title. But those are three surfers in particular who. I I think still have a lot of gas left in the tank. Um, you know, switching topics now to um, the three winners we each got. Um, my first winner, it's it's probably a little too cute for comfort given my last loser, but uh, I said the up and coming generation on both sides. You know, on the men's side, the average age of the current top ten is twenty six point seven years young. On the women's side, the average age of the current top five is twenty three point eight years young. And while the likes of Gabriel and John, Felipe, Idolo, and Kelly are the remaining world champions on the men's tour, and we have Steph, Carissa, and Tyler on the women's side, it does feel like we're experiencing a tectonic shift in terms of generational talent on both sides. And for someone, I think for both of us who have been following surfing and, and working in surfing for as long as we have, it's pretty exciting. It's exciting to feel that happening. It's exciting to see that, um, you know, shift. And, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to what's happening over the next few events. It's, it's new surfing, it's new surfers, there's big shoes to fill, but, but yeah, I'm pretty pumped about that. Oh, so my Dave, that's actually a great pick because I have it written down here in my notes that, uh, you know, Molly Picklin winning this event at 20 mm. years of age, going up against the likes of eight-time world champion Stephanie Gilmore, uh, Carissa Moore, who's still locked in for number one on the rankings right now. We're talking about some of the best surfers of all time, whether male or female, right? And and you look at these, this younger generation. I thought Ian Gentile had a couple of amazing heats. Great. I thought the Baron had moments where he shined, too. Obviously, Seth Moniz, I alluded to, uh, to that eight-point ride that he had in the opening round. Um, but it's that kind of generation that you're thinking, okay, they're elevating the game while competing. So people don't understand the amount of pressure that they're having doing these things and elevating things in a certain period of time, too. I mean, people's completion rates on air, uh, when we talk about the very elite, Italo, Felipe, John, I'd probably say, you know, mid to upper 70s which mm-hmm. is pretty high, out of the four airs that they're throwing, they're landing three. On the women's side, you look at Molly Picklem, Caroline Marks, how many waves that they ride all the way from the outside to the inside in a span of 30 to 40 minutes. Quite impressive. And that leads me actually to my number three person. It's another goofy footer, just like Caroline Marks. I thought he was very impressive. He defeated John John Florence in the round of 16, and he garnered himself a quarterfinal finish here. It was Nat Young. Mm. And Santa Cruz's own golden boy, I thought he surfed well. I thought he approached the heat with John very, um, very smart. He competed in an intelligent manner. And most importantly, he showed that goofy footers are capable of doing well out here on the men's side, especially when you consider the heavy hitters that we had in the quarterfinals of better. I mean, Felipe, Griff, Joao, Jack. These are people that we're talking about that are top 10 surfers. And that despite being a runner up in the world for the World Junior Championship, you know, 10, 12 years ago. This isn't a guy that has really, you know, blown the scale in terms of judging in the last few Mm -hmm. years. But what gets him to this spot, Dave, is consistency. And that consistency has put him up into a good spot to qualify and get to that mid-year cut. I like that a lot. And I think that, you know, Nat having the benefit of the Channel Islands compound being set up right at Sunset Beach, you know, being able to surf there as much as he wanted, getting able to watch it as much as he wanted. I think it was a great pick. So you've done your three, right? So I've got I've got two more to go on the winner side. And yeah. I'm going to take a, a note from your book last time. I've, I've isolated 
two individuals, um, which is a change for me on the winner side. The first one I'm going to pick is Katie Simmers, the rookie. Um, you know, Caitlin, no shortage of hype, you know, on Caitlin ahead of the season. But I do think there was a version of reality where the momentum did not shift in her direction in Hawaii, and she did not feel confident in her own surfing, which is amazing, during the first half of the year. And, you know, after a ninth at Pipeline, she escaped a tricky elimination round heat at Sunset Beach. Then she took on, you know, a two-time WSL Final Five member in Tatiana Weston-Webb in the round of 16. And it really felt like she was gaining a little bit of momentum, feeling a little bit more at ease with her own surfing. Um, and she has some work to do, but I think it was probably a great pressure release for her in Hawaii to get through some heats. And back to the winner point, on top of that, apparently um, Oscar winner Matthew McConaughey, uh, Rust Cole himself, is a Katie Simmers super fan and actually asked her for a selfie while he was in attendance at the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach. So for that reason alone, Katie would be in my, my winner's list. But um, it's awesome to see her, you know, opening up her surfing and feeling comfortable for such a young and dynamic surfer on the championship tour. No, that's, that's an awesome pick. And I see Katie, you know, here in California quite a bit. I've, I've um, covered her, whether, you know, judging, announcing, um, and uh, vice versa, doing other stuff. Obviously, you know, doing the broadcast and stuff, too, for the bigger events. But I've seen her grow. Uh, shout out to her, her coach, John Daniels. He's done an excellent job. I remember seeing her for the first time when she was 10 years old at a WSA contest. And I asked John, who's that? And she's like, oh, yeah, that's Caitlin Simmers. I help her out. She's from Oceanside, too. She had a 10 and a 9 in the heat that I scored her, Dave. So, you know, flash forward six, seven years, she's on the CT now. Um, that's a great number two pick. My number two, though, it's, it's a good one. And you're going to like it. Shout out to CI Surfboards again. Brent Powers, uh, he caddied seven heats <laughs> in a single day, by the way. But um, my number two is Joao Chianca. Mm. I mean, dude, two semifinal finishes in the first two events in Hawaii. I mean, and he was close to making both finals, too. And he was, he was ripping. super close to yeah. making both finals. And the most impressive thing about all of this, I think he still has, like, another two gears to go, too. So watch out, world. Um, if people aren't ready, I'm actually thinking that he's going to make the WSL Final Five. You know, he's he's that good. He's impressive. We're going into a beach break that barrels, super tubos. I'd like to see him on the podium one day, Dave. Oh, I think that is such a great pick. And funny enough, right before we were recording, I went to uh, Manny and Bird Barber Shop. Shout out to my um, my barber, Mark Ackerson, um, here in Ventura. And he brought Zhao up. Like he he's a like a skater um, background, but he surfs. And he was like, man, he goes, that guy is a Swiss Army knife. Like he charges, he shreds small stuff. And he was kind of saying that that kind of approach, you know, the the movement away from a singular dimensional kind of specialist is what's happening in skating too now, where you have mm -hmm. this generation of stars that can skate street, they can skate vert, they can do everything. And he brought that up when he was talking about Zhao. And I think that's just a great pick. And, and I think you're right. He's a young person. He's super strong. Um, he doesn't seem to have really any weaknesses. And, and I think you're right. I think he's got another few gears. We'll see how he goes across these next few events, but I'm excited to see how Zhao goes as well. For, for my, um, my third winner, I actually went with another Brazilian as well. I went with Caio Ibelli. Now, Caio is someone, he's, he's 30 years old, so he kind of fit into that generational space between your Adrianos and your Jadsons in Brazil and, and kind of the proper Brazilian storm represented by, you know, Gabriel and Felipe and Miguel and, and, and Italo. And, and so he kind of is a little bit of a lost soul generationally, and he carries himself that way. He's a little bit of a man apart, but he's got all the credentials. He was the 2011 World Junior Champion. He was one of Oakley's major team riders, and he kind of had some hard times. He lost some sponsors. He was always a great competitor. Um, he's, he's fiery in his heats, you know, but he is a great surfer and he's one of the most dangerous people on tour in all conditions. And I think he is consistently underestimated and underrated, but, you know, we're mm -hmm. looking at 
pipe. He picks off a third and then a fifth at Sunset Beach. He's currently ranked fifth in the world. He's running his black railed rusties in the seats. Man, I think he's having a career year and I'm I'm he doesn't need me to be proud of him. I'm just excited for him. And, and um, he, so he's my third winner from the Sunset Beach event. I told, I've told you during the first two episodes, Dave. You had it. Watch out for this guy. <laughs> watch out. Last season, two semifinals to start. He already had qualified with just those two results. And remember, he wasn't a permanent fixture last season at the beginning of the season either. Mm. So just with those two results, he had already guaranteed a spot after the midseason cut. He's basically done it already, number five in the rankings. So I'm, I'm excited to see him. And um, I think the best turn for Caio is underappreciated because mm. that guy knows how to compete. He knows how to surf. He's well-rounded. And watch out because if you underestimate that guy... It's going to be a short heat for you. My number one, though, my biggest winner easily has to be Felipe Toledo. Mm. Wins the event. Comes back to win the final, by the way, too. Remember, the first exchange, Griffin won it. 9-1-7 to the 7-8-3, I believe, of Felipe. Just bigger wave for Griff. I think Felipe still surfed his wave as good as he could have. But they waited around 25 minutes to catch the next wave after that. Felipe took the lead with the low three. Then Griff got the one good wave after that. But then Felipe was on consecutive waves that garnered him excellent scores. And I think it just demonstrated his evolution and how much more comfortable he's gotten in waves of consequence. Yes, I thought that he was, you know, a bit lackluster in his quarterfinal finish at Pipe, especially given the conditions that we had for finals day. I thought he probably should have won that event. But looking at what he did here at Sunset, I think he made up for it. And I think this is a person, if people aren't, you know, if people aren't ready for him to stay at that number one position like he did for the majority of last year, this is going to be the pick that I'm going to have going into lower trestles, being a world champion at the uh, at the end of the year again. I, I just don't see it happening another way. I picked him to beat Gabe in 2021 when we had the first Rip Girl WSL Finals lost two very close matches that ends up defeating Italo in two matches last season at lowers. And now going into this year, guess what? He's number two, very close to Jack Robinson. And if you're not careful, this guy's going to end up being the first back-to-back champ we've had on the men's side since John John Florence. It's a great pick. And, and he was on my, my draft list, you know, coming out of Hawaii, ranked number two in the world. And, and, and Jack Robinson too, it needs to be said. Current, number one surfer um, having a fantastic back-to-back at Pipeline and Sunset Beach. But in fairness, two venues that when you associate Jack Robinson there, you're like, yeah, he could win both of those, no problem. I think Felipe has been pretty vocal about, you know, Pipeline being a challenge for him in the past. Sunset's such a roulette. So for him to be number two coming out of Hawaii and looking at Portugal, Bells Beach, Margaret River, Surf Ranch, yep. El Salvador, Rio, J-Bay, Tahiti, and then Lowers? Man, he must have his fangs out because it's yep. going to be really exciting to see how he does. And then, of course, we've got Carissa and Molly sitting at the top of the women's rankings heading into Portugal. It's all happening. Um, that was a super fun winners and losers segment. Um, can't wait for the next one. Can't wait to hear the feedback we get, we both get for our picks, <laughs> but um, that's part of the fun. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to dive into some of that feedback with our listener questions. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. All right, welcome back to episode 143 of The Lineup. I'm your co-host, Mitchell Salazar, and that's Dave Prodan. Dave, we're going into our second segment of the pod. And guess what? My favorite one, Instagram fan questions. So let's start off with uh, our first one. Uh, and remember, you can always submit your questions to at The Lineup Pod. Just DM us. It should always be fun listening and, and answering new questions. But the first one, at Willie Goat. 0230. This one's pretty uh, specific for you, Dave, because I feel like being, you know, one of the higher people in the company, you should probably be able to answer this quite well. Should WSO consider Hawaiian leg for end of the season to take advantage of the winter swell? That is an interesting question. Um, thank you, Willie Goat, 0230. Um, but also probably one that really anywhere we are like when you have a, a challenging run of swell which we talked about everyone starts bringing it up what if you came during this time of year what about that time of year but you know that said you know and mitch you can heat check me on this i still think that the late january early february window for the north shore is still in the prime winter window for waves and Arguably, as I understand it, that window is typically better for pipeline because mm -hmm. it's often the case that the sand has been knocked off the reef and the swells are more west than they are when we used to have it, which was in December. And and west swells are also very, very good for Sunset Beach. And of course, as, as we've discussed, my number one loser, the La Nina cycle, has thrown everyone into a tizzy lately. So as always, we're at the mercy of Mother Nature. But and despite... You know, some some challenging days, you know, at Pipeline and Sunset Beach um, and those days not being considered like classic all time, there remained incredible moments in the surfing itself, which I think is a testament not only to the best surfers on the planet competing at the highest level of the sport, but just the structure of the calendar and just how much is on the line. But, you know, Mitch, you were a former QS campaigner. You know the ins and outs of, of swells better than I do. What do you think about where the Hawaiian leg is currently placed in the season compared to maybe, you know, November, December? Well, I think, you know, obviously there's still that question of always like, hey, shouldn't, you know, pipe finish the season and stuff like that? And I understand that. And and I think a, a, up until a certain point, I agree. But I think it's way better when, we, when we're starting the season later off January, February, with these events starting both at Pipeline and Sunset Beach. And as I told you at the beginning of, of the recording of the pod, I thought Sunset Beach delivered a lot more than I expected. We had that one day where we just woke up and we were running overlapping heats from start to finish no matter what, and it was perfect. And then we had a couple of beach break days that were super fun. It's maybe only the second or third time in history, Dave, that I've ever seen somebody do an air on the outside. Kalo <laughs> Handino's right. I had seen Kalani David, maybe E. my Kalani DeVault mm. do an air on the outside like that. And then Yagodora with the air reverse on the left, I had never seen that before. But that was cool. And then finals day, sunset point firing all the way from the top all the way to vows. Count me in. I'm cool with that, you know. And, and that was classic sunset beach. It wasn't maybe West Bowl heavy, but it was fun. It was competitive. It made it for a great event. I thought it, I, th I think it's cool where it's at, personally. You know, I think it should stay there. So at Willie Goat 0230, love you. But I think it's going to stay there at least as a permanent fixture for now. Let's go into question number two, Dave. Uh, this one kind of aimed towards you, too, because it's about a policy, and it's a funny question. <laughs> What's WSL's policy on filming surfers having a meltdown, drama or unsportsmanlike? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's it's probably 
Specifically, it's probably a better question for our head of broadcast, Jed Pearson. But typically, I, I think we are filming the meltdowns and showing it. And, and speaking personally, um, I like doing what's more authentic. And, and yeah. you know, in contrast to maybe prior points in the sports history, I like seeing the emotion plays out. You know, like these, as we've said, like these are the best surfers on the planet and they're competing at the highest level of the sport. The stakes are really as elevated as they get in terms of their careers and you know losing early in an event is a huge deal it it is like a really interesting question though because it's one of my pet discussion topics and you know i'd argue that surfing for all of its chest thumping about being progressive nonconformist has you know throughout its history had this weird like preoccupation with overly sanitizing itself in favor of being accepted by the mainstream which I think is probably like a legacy yes. mentality from the 70s, 80s, and 90s that all of us, and I'd include myself in this, had probably been swept up in from time to time. Like, we're like, hey, no, this is supposed to be taken very seriously. We can't show that. We can't do that. You know, and it's, and, and some people lean into that more than others. But I do think that one of the things that makes surfing so special and, and stand out from other sports is its rawness and yeah. allowing that to flourish when appropriate is the right thing to do. I think there's a huge difference between being a professional sport where wild stuff happens and being an overly corporate sanitized entity that tries to stamp authenticity out, you know? And I'm not saying yep. that we all get it right every single time, but I think more and more we're leaning into like, look, we want to be a professional sport. We want to make sure that, you know, the officiating's buttoned up and the structure's buttoned up and we are truly stewarding the progression of the world's best surfing in the live arena but we're completely allowing everyone to be themselves. We're letting emotions happen and we're letting the wild stuff happens because it happens at every event. I, I don't know what, what's your, t since you've been on almost both sides of the coin, Mitch, you know, you've been a competitor and now you are a commentator. Like what, what's your take on this one? Yeah. First of all, I, I forgot to shout out, uh, you know, our Instagram user at Noah Purington, by the way, great question, Noah. And, um, I agree with you, Dave. Um, the main reason is because I think these moments humanize us. And if we deviate from these kind of moments and these things that make us competitive, they make us um, socially normal mm. and maybe acceptable. That's not something that we're necessarily striving for in other kinds of sports, especially when you have something that maybe isn't as structured as, you know, the NBA, the NFL, the WSL really to its highest point has maybe only existed for a little over 30 years, you know, back when it was uh, the IPA or whatever it is that, you know, PT competed in, in in the first year and then it easily transitioned into the ASP, the Association of Surfing Professionals, you weren't able to see these moments before. And now that you are, you want to be able to be there for those kind of moments. I remember last year during the broadcast of the U.S. Open, it was one of the first two heats of the morning, Kolohe came in had a good barrel, but didn't end up getting a backup. He came in, broke his board on the stairs. And our broadcast booth is literally like almost right next to the stairs. And I watched it on camera. And they, they they didn't even tell me that they were, you know, going to us in the booth. And you could just see my face looking at the monitor, like wide open. And my friends started texting me like, hey, how was your face during that reaction? And I was like, dude, well, that's anybody's reaction. You know, you want to be able to see those moments because it shows how much it cares, you know, how much it cares. It matters to these people, to these athletes. It's their careers. It's their lives. And these careers and lives are at stake. What happened to Zeke Lau this event at Sunset Beach? Like, mm. that was a moment of depression right there. It mm. seemed like he was struggling a lot. So, great question at Noah Purington. We appreciate it. And uh, our last question, you know, from the Instagram, at Gabriel P. Silva. He submitted quite a few questions, by the way. Thanks, Gabriel. Uh, any plans to show athletes' personnel info or personal info? I think he might have misspelled it. Like heart rate, how long the wave is, etc. I think he's talking more about the Apple Watch mm. stuff, Dave. That makes sense. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure he is talking about the Apple Watch that the CT surfers are wearing this season. You know, um, Gabriel, as, as far as I'm aware, there are no immediate plans to show this publicly, but it's always possible in the future. You know, I think it's it's important to stress that 
the Apple Watch is there at the moment to provide additional information to the surfers, you know, heat time, scores, priority, et cetera. All that information is in addition to what's always been available to them. You know, they've got the beach announcers calling out the scenarios. There's a digital scoreboard, a digital clock, you know, a priority disc. But we'll see, though. You know, um, it would be interesting, I think. Um, but what about you, Mitch? Do you do you want to see Molly's heart rate when she's dropping into a West Bowl at Sunset Beach? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think it would be cool, especially, you know, in the further we go, we go into athletics and maybe comparing ourselves to more mainstream sports such as, you know, basketball, NFL or something like that, especially speeds, I think would be the coolest thing, Dave, you know, mm. getting Felipe's speed at a wave like Bell's where he's going down the line, El Salvador, who knows? Like, those are the kind of things where I'd actually be excited about seeing. So if it happens, cool. If it doesn't happen, you know, I'm not bummed about it. Mm. Um, we have a couple of bonus questions, Dave. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start with... Um, <laughs> a fun one because I remember reading this the first time and I started laughing at Wes Weber four. <laughs> Is this all the lineup will be now? <laughs> I I don't really know what he means. I guess it was the uh, is he referring to the Mitch and Dave episodes? <laughs> Seems I'm like pretty sure. Okay, I'm pretty sure. I mean, do you think he's excited? He wants to be like, yeah, no, that's all this will be. Maybe he's like, thankfully, or maybe, I don't know. It seems like a strange question to ask, but to answer, um, no, I, hopefully that doesn't disappoint too much. We, we still do our, you know, our one-on-one -on -one episodes, Maxime Husano, Sarah Karogi, Shane Dorian, Cliff Capono, we've, we've had on this season, but you know, bringing Mitch on this season is, for personally speaking has been so awesome to get your insights, both from the water and the booth and you just such a strong surfing mind um, and to have fun, you know, and kind of break up the formatting of the lineup. I think it's been really great. We've had so much positive feedback already and yeah, I'm looking forward to doing more. If we can, if we can seduce Mitch into doing even more episodes, we will for <laughs> sure. But, um, but yeah, no, to answer uh, what was Wes Weber four's question? No, this is not, all the lineup will be, but it could be in future. Like if, if you want it, if you want it bad enough, uh, Wes. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to tell him that I think my contract says 14 episodes. So you, you only have to put up with me for like 14 episodes uh, this, this year at West River <laughs> um, um Our last bonus question, by the way, it's actually an interesting one because I've been thinking about it quite a bit after this last event. At Mia Aimer asks, Dave, um, will Griff dominate Portugal again? Mm. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Mia Aimer, and celebrated Griffin Colapinto fan. I think it's a great question. You know, look, he looked, competing-wise, like mediocre at Pipeline for him, of course. And then he looked awesome at Sunset Beach. He's the defending winner in Portugal. He has new sponsors in Quicksilver and Red Bull and an explicit goal of being at lowers as the hometown contender for the world title at September's Rip Curl WSL finals. I think someone like Griffin has proven he has all the physical ability to be dominant again, not only at Portugal, but at several other stops on tour. I think with him, it comes down to the mental game at this stage. You know, he, he puts in all the physical work. He has all the talent. He has his equipment dialed from Matt Biolas. Like, he's got Tom Whitaker in his corner. He's, he's dialed up. I think when he falters, it's a mental issue. And I think when he succeeds, it's a mental issue. And he's been pretty candid about that, too. Um, you know, Mitch, what do you think about Griffin, um, not just at Portugal, but for this season? Uh, I think Portugal, you know, it should be a decent result for him. You know, if he gets anything better than the quarterfinal finish, I think he should be stoked about that. But I think for the rest of the season, if you look at the guys that aren't even making the top 10 right now, Italo's outside of it, Kolohe's outside of it, Kanoa's outside of it. He's had two, you know, kind of lackluster performances. I agree with you. Um, I think he's got a lot more to prove at Bells Beach. I think he's got a lot more to prove at Margaret River. And most importantly, the Surf Ranch. Because that's an event that's at his home soil. It's only a two-day event now because it's after the midseason cut. Will he and can he compete and perform against the likes of Kanoa, Felipe, and Gabe there? I say yes. I think that's going to be one of his best events this year. It's a, it's a good call, and it harkens back to he was one of those surfers that at 
at Surf Ranch in the training sessions kind of like broke open the progressive nature of that venue because I do think it's one of those waves that lends itself to people surfing more conservatively, right? Because they're like, I don't want to blow yeah. the wave. I don't want to blow the section. And even if you're one of the world's best surfers, there is a lack of looseness or traditionally there's been a lack of looseness. And in one of his training sessions, he has that awesome, it was on his forehand on the right, like, like reverse into the barrel where he's riding switch with his fins forward in the barrel comes out switches back to standard stance and continues surfing and that just that one wave really opened up people's minds to what you could do there if you felt confident enough to do it so he certainly has a track record of performing there and i think that's a great call about about surf ranch and um yeah i'm excited to see how he goes the rest of the year thanks to uh thanks to everyone who sent in questions at, at the lineup pod if we didn't get to your question um we're going to try to dm uh, the answers to you. So keep them coming, comments, questions, even in between episodes. We love to hear them. We love to have uh, conversations with our listeners. Um, we're going to take one more break to get a word in from our sponsors. And when we come back, it's time for the Vizsla CT Shaper Rankings. Can't wait. We'll be right back. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. All right, we're coming back. This is episode 143 of the Lineup Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Mitchell Salazar. It is now time for the Vizsla CT Shaper Rankings. Shaper Rankings! I love this. So a quick refresher for our listeners. We are ranking the world's best shapers this year who are shaping surfboards for the surfers on the championship tour. Shapers are given points based off of the performance of their surfers riding their boards who finish in the quarterfinals or better. The ranking is a combined men's and women's ranking. And we had a bit of shakeup between Pipeline and Sunset Beach. Sharp Eye, who was so dominant across the men's and women's fields in 2022, started out very, very strong at Pipeline, opening up the current top five um, heading into Sunset Beach. But when the dust was settled at Sunset, it was San Clemente's Matt Biolis and the Mayhem Surfboards team who were in the pole position. So the top five heading into the Mayo Rip Curl Pro Portugal are in the number one spot, Mayhem, number two, Sharp Eye, number three, DHD, number four, Channel Islands, and number five, Pizel. Mitch, your thoughts on what we saw both at Sunset Beach and what we're seeing in the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings. Well, it's great, first of all, to see a different amount of shapers doing well at a location that has been known for its difficulties over the year. Um, huge shout out to Mayhem and their whole team. Obviously, having Gabby Bryan in the, in the semifinals on the women's side helped quite a bit, too, and Caroline in the final against Molly Picklin. But I think Darren Hanley has found his next superstar in Molly Picklin. I mm. mean, she's great. Uh, I think she's going to do a lot of damage in years to come, and especially even this year if she does qualify for the Rip Curl WSL Finals, too. But on the men's side, you know, Sharpie winning with Felipe, Jack Robinson in the semifinals. Got to give a big shout-out to Channel Islands, though. I mean, they had a couple of great guys in there. Matt McGillivray up against um, 
who was it, Joao in the quarterfinals. Mm. Nat Young was in there too. And Ethan Ewing also with a, a decent result, quarterfinal finish. That added some points to DHD. But I like how things are shaping up now, Dave. I thought Sharpa was going to have a lot of dominance at the beginning of the year. But now it's it's leveling up a bit more. And I think it shows just how much things can change event to event, you know, and we saw a lot of surfers riding Hawaiian shapers. We had, you know, yep. Pang from TNC Surf to Koro Arakawa across both events, both at Pipeline and Sunset Beach. But Paisel was the only local shaper to pick up points via his season-long team riders in John John Florence and Tyler Wright. So despite a huge number of surfers riding sort of local shapers, you know, there weren't many that ended up in the quarterfinals or better, either at um, Pipeline or Sunset Beach. Why do you think that is, Mitch? I know we touched on the tricky forecast. Do you think the fact that it wasn't classic all-time Pipeline and classic all-time Sunset Beach sort of hindered the advantage of those local shapers or was something else at play? Yeah, and remember, uh, John didn't even make the quarters at Sunset, so he doesn't even get points mm-hmm. for that second event. The only points that he'll get are from the first event at mm-hmm. Pipe. So, you know, I, I kind of think that it was that dominance of having the world's best surfers on bigger brands now. And obviously, Sharp Eye is one of them. Felipe, you know, with his dominance at several different spots worldwide. But I kind of still think it's up to the to the surfer's performance. Um, you know, I think that John John tends to ride a lot of really small boards. Mm-hmm. That one day out there, say it wasn't huge, but it was that tricky in-between size where you probably should be riding something a bit bigger. And maybe if you're not feeling 100%, he was a little bit under the wetter. You always want that extra length so you don't have to expend your energy that much with a longer paddle either. So that's one thing. Obviously, Tyler Wright's a top 10 surfer. She is most likely going to make the Rip Curl Double Cell Finals too. But, you know, I'm surprised that a lot of people weren't choosing more Arakawas. Mm. You know, TNC has a good team. Brisa Hennessy's in there. Mm-hmm. Sally Fitzgibbons. I know a couple of the men rode them too. But, yep. you know, Arakawas and Takoros didn't get as, as much love as I was expecting, Dave. It's interesting. You know, um, Kelly Slater, who who his obsession with equipment is so well documented and it sort of feeds all of our own personal obsessions with equipment. He was running at Sunset, the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach, what looked like a, a PU construction board in his opening mm-hmm. heat. And he then, you know, according to Slater Design's team, pit boss Travis Lee, was writing a quote, design he had been working on and off with Greg Weber but he had the file cut and finished shaped on the North Shore, which very interesting. Interesting equipment choice for Kelly at Sunset Beach, which is obviously a venue that he's been very vocal about. It vexes him, right? And so I do think that kind of plays into his equipment choice too, but it'd been a long time since I'd seen him ride both a polyurethane construction board and, and a Weber in waves like that. What did you think of that? And a longer board too. Mm. It's been years since I've seen him ride a board that long. I would have to say it looked like at least a 6.6. I know Pete was trying to get a little bit more information um, during his actual time off of the broadcast. And you know how Professor Pete gets. He likes to go into investigation mode and a little sure. bit of detective mode right there when he's into um, in the athlete zone. But, you know, it was it was impressive up until a certain point. I think it got him into the round of 16 because of his expertise just in surfing in general, but I don't necessarily think that, that board looked specifically good at that location. Maybe at a wave with a bit might with a bit more juice, you know, down the line, say like Bells, that first bully section, Margaret River, that first section that's really strong too. But a wave like Sunset Beach, where it could just go flat immediately, right? It looked like he was kind of digging a rail a lot of times. And that's not something that you necessarily want to do out there. If you look at the surfing of uh, an Ethan Ewing or Joao, just much cleaner rail surfing, especially with Felipe. And it seems like the boards that they were on were working for some reason because mm. they made it all the way to finals there. Right, right, right. That's interesting. I mean, relatedly in the Slater Design News Camp, you and I were exchanging notes about Miguel Pupo, who longtime mm-hmm. Sharp Eye team rider. He was riding Sharp Eyes earlier in the event at the, the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach, but then hopped on, uh, stickered up Slater Designs board on the bigger day, which unsure why, like we'll have to check in with Marcio Zuvi and or Yufu Penrose to elaborate. But, you know, sometimes it just comes down to, you know what, my bigger board was broken. I didn't have another one. I, I used this one. Right. 
but we have been toying with this concept. We saw, you know, Kano Igarashi was riding a few Arakawas um, yeah. in Pipeline sh- Sharp Eye through, through virtue of just how well they've done in the last few years. Has the biggest team on tour right now, men and, men and women. They've got um, 11 odd team riders. You have to wonder if that number becomes unwieldy at some point where it's like you can't give all 11 the same attention that, say, you know, like a Chris Borst can give Caitlin Simmers is the only team rider mm-hmm. on tour. Right. It's a one to one connection. And not to say that Sharpie doesn't have the resources to service everyone at that level. But at some point you might see some surfers shifting around. And, and what did you make of the, the Miguel Pupo thing on the Slater designs, Mitch? Because you're pretty close with, with Miguel. It's um it's funny that you bring that up right now because I hadn't even remembered uh, about it until you texted me um the other day. I was like, really? He is? And then I looked more into it and I was like, oh, wow, you're right. It was an interesting decision. You know, I, I don't honestly know what went into it. And I don't want to ask him on a personal side because, uh, you know, he might have some contractual issues or something. Like that. <laughs> I don't know. But what I do know is that a good surfer can pick up any board at any given time, mm. and they can surf that board well. Um, and it, it obviously worked because he's still in the running to qualify again for lowers this season. Sure. But what I think is most interesting about this one specific event is that I always feel that the lighter surfers tend to ride boards that are so small out there, and you always see the bigger guys like Callum Robson, Ryan, Connor O'Leary, Zeke Lau ride the longer boards. And mm. to me personally, as a bigger guy too, I've always been one of those guys. And Reynos Hayes told me this since I was very young. You need length out there and you need foam. And I think it goes hand in hand with the result that Griffin Colapinto had. He was always riding a board that was larger than him, mm. a little bit longer too. And I feel like the way you really want to surf Sunset Beach as a true Hawaiian wave is with that more open face kind of surfing. And I think Felipe just kind of shut me up with the performance that he had in the final because he still had those sick rail carves, beautiful open face surfing, but he also had a lot of top to bottom surfing. And it was because he was riding that shorter board. Mm. So we're in an era of surfing now, Dave, where technology, first of all, has gotten so good that they've been able to manufacture surfboards that weren't seen 10 to 15 years ago. And the level of surfing is so good now that anybody can ride anything at a given time. Mm and make heats or even win an event. And that's what's crazy about it. And it's scary too. It's a good point. You know, and we mentioned, you know, Caitlin Simmers being the only CT surfer writing Chris Boris designs. Um, you know, I got brought onto the broadcast, you know, um, you know, which was kind of them on finals day to let's talk. Go, it, yeah, it's time. Let's go to talk about the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings. And um, I, it was difficult because there were so many waves being ridden in that heat. Um, but it, it was very cool to watch. And one of the things that came up in the conversation with Laura Enever and Strider and Kaipo was the fact that, you know, when John John qualified for the tour, he qualified at the midway point in 2011. He, he's yeah. always ridden Pizel's, but Pizel was not the universally known shaper that he is today. Um, he was the only surfer on tour riding Pizel's. And mm-hmm. through virtue of working with John and obviously John's success, like Pizel has grown his business to what it is today, which is this internationally renowned powerhouse. Um, and the boards sell like hotcakes on the strength of, of just that, <laughs> that relationship, you know? And, and I'm not saying that's going to happen with Chris Borst and Katie Simmers. I'm just saying there's precedent, you know, where it's like, just because you haven't heard of a shaper on the international stage doesn't mean that that can't change change very, very quickly, which is is really why I'm excited. It's one of the reasons why I'm excited to be working on the Vizsla CT Shaper Rankings Program, because you can have those conversations and you can kind of pull those things apart and say like, wow, like this person's onto something. Look at the way they're, they're performing. And you don't have to yeah. look any further than even Sharpie a few years ago, where it was sort yes. of a non-entity in the top yes. 10 and now they're the most dominant high performance brand on tour. It's fortunes can change very quickly on tour for shapers. Mm-hmm. No, you bring up, I think the best point that we've talked about in the few episodes that I've been on, on the podcast so far, Dave, because you're absolutely right up until maybe 
2010, 2011, SharpEye was a smaller known brand out of San Diego. A lot of Brazilians knew about him because Marcel's been living here for so long. They needed a place to stay. They needed local boards too, somebody that knew the area well. And I remember back in the day, I got a few boards from Marcio. I emailed him a few times. Hey, a couple of my friends ride for you. Dere Gomez from Venezuela, a couple of the Latin American guys. Uh, can I get a price? He's like, yeah, real good price for back in the day. I emailed him a few years ago. Once he started signing people, it's like, oh, yeah, that price has gone up. I was like, whoa, really? <laughs> so is the wait it, time. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it's, the wait time went up a lot, even more. <laughs> but you bring up the best of points because Matt Biolos is successful because he lives in maybe – the most beachiest of towns with great waves, with mm. a lot of surfers around. And not to say they're not amazing boards, because I ride his boards myself. I also ride Channel Islands, Channel Islands, Santa Barbara, a big surfing area. A lot of people tend to ride those boards up and down the California coast. But the same thing goes for JS Industries, mm. DHD. Sure. All these guys started out small, and everybody has to. And you only need one rider. Like Johnny Cabianca has Gabe. John Pizel has John. And as you said, both of those guys qualified in 2011 after that first mid-year cut had happened. Mm -hmm. So look at their careers now. Look at how far they've elevated their own game and their shapers game too. Their shapers have gotten better because of them and vice versa. Such a good point. And you mentioned it earlier, but such a strong showing from SharpEye in Hawaii. Back-to-back -back men's victories between Jack Robinson at Pipeline and Felipe Toledo at Sunset Beach. But in terms of the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings, they ultimately ceded that number one position to San Clemente's Matt Biolas and the Mayhem team on the strength of Mayhem's both men's and women's team. You know, SharpEye's women's team has both Tatiana Weston-Webb and Joanne DeFay. Joanne DeFay is still out with injury, Tatiana failed to place in the quarters or better at Sunset Beach compared to Mayhem, who not only had Griffin Colapinto finish runner up on the men's side, but had three women in the quarterfinals between Caroline Marks, Gabriella uh, Bryan, and Carissa Moore. So huge showing from, from Mayhem. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in Portugal. You know, Mitch, we talked about you know your your Pangs and your Arakawas and your Takoros and your Paisels. The, the Hawaiian shapers. What about in Europe? Like, do you think that the CT surfers are going to be looking into local European shapers when they're there? Or is that something that's fairly unique to Hawaii? No, I think it's, it's something that you'll see worldwide. Mm -hmm. um, there aren't a huge amount of renowned shapers within the country of Portugal. There are a few within Europe. Sure. Obviously Bradley, who's yep. had success with, uh, um, with Leo on the yeah. championship tour. I mean, he's coming off of a second-place finish, a pipe that's huge. Uh, Jeremy Flores used to ride his boards for the longest time, too, before he transitioned uh, to JS Industries. But I just want to say that um, those shapers in Europe maybe don't get the same amount of attention over here in the United States and in Hawaii because of the time zones. Mm. But there's boards that are over there that are just as good as any other board that's going to be made worldwide. And I think that applies for people in Australia, that's how DHD, JS, all got big. Um, huge shout, shout out to everybody on the Gold Coast that rides and supports their local shapers too. I think we need to see that a lot more in both the United States and Hawaii and in Europe. Especially in Brazil, that's how Marcio Suvi got to start. Ricardo Martins from RM, also a great shaper down there. If you're ever in those areas, remember to support your local shapers. But getting back to the point, I don't necessarily see it happening too much in Europe. Because I think Super Tubos is a world-class wave that offers enough punch mm. where every single board over there is going to work. Makes a ton of sense. Well, that's it for our update on the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings. And that's it for podcast number 143 on the lineup. Mitch, it is always a pleasure. I can't wait to uh, keep the conversation going in between podcasts and uh, look forward to having you back real soon. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. I hope you enjoyed it. We are one week out from the third stop on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour, the Mayo Rip Curl Pro Portugal, which will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Today's episode is produced by Miguel Clemente and Mitch Salazar with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. Lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Kumaye, and the Wanenyo native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday.
WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup.